Hey everyone, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 26 of the Popecast, the podcast for people who like history, but don't much like dry, dusty history books. Our Pope today introduced a day of celebration to the church that's endured for over three quarters of a millennium, in addition to, you know, wrestling power away from a rogue dynasty and otherwise trying to keep the church afloat in troubled waters, all in just three years. No big deal. This week, it's Pope number 182, the Pope who gave us the Feast of Corpus Christi, Urban IV. Pope Urban IV was born Jacques Pantaleon in Troy, France, around the end of the 1100s. Not much is known about his early life, other than his father being a cobbler by trade. He studied at the University of Paris as a young man, earning a doctorate in canon law, and then moved on to be both canon at Laon in France, and the archdeacon, essentially the bishop's right-hand man and senior cleric, in Liege in Belgium. It seems that Jacques spent the majority of his 20s and 30s serving these two areas, Laon and Liege being about a three-hour drive by today's travel just across the border between France and Belgium. As far as his personality, the Catholic Encyclopedia describes him like this, quote, his experience of affairs and his personal character fitted him for this work. He had had an excellent education and was active, capable, self-reliant, and always ready for any work that presented itself. His life was a full one. Yet business had not banished piety. End quote. These qualities were surely what caught the eye of Pope Innocent IV in 1245 at the First Council of Lyon, the Church's 13th of her 21 ecumenical councils. The First Council of Lyon, for, for those curious, declared deposed the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick II, and among other things, discussed a renewed crusade in the Holy Land, the division between the Eastern and Western churches, and several disciplinary matters to boot. Among them, in fact, including the cardinals wearing red and, interestingly enough, the forbidding of any Christian to employ an assassin. Apparently that last one had to actually be stated in print. Who knew? Anyway, again, that was in 1245, and apparently Pope Innocent IV liked Jacques enough that he sent him as a papal delegate all over the place, chiefly to Germany, but also at different points to Poland and Prussia, all in the span of just eight years. And then, in 1253, Jacques was briefly named the Bishop of the French Diocese of Verdun, and then in 1255, was elevated to the formerly prestigious but now battle-worn post of Patriarch of Jerusalem, where he served until his election to the papacy. After Alexander IV's death in 1261, Jacques found himself in Viterbo, where the eight remaining cardinals bickered and argued for three months before settling on none other than the Patriarch of Jerusalem as the next successor to St. Peter. He chose the name Urban IV, likely both a nod to St. Urban I, to whom he would later build a basilica in his hometown, and Pope Urban II, the latter being a fellow Frenchman. Interestingly enough, Urban himself wasn't among the cardinal electors. He remains one of the few men to be elected Pope without first having had the red hat. And also, as a quick fun fact, maybe some of you have already noticed, Urban's election made him actually the fourth of five consecutive popes to have the fourth after their name. Between 1241 and 1268, the church had in the chair of Peter, Celestine, the two guys we already mentioned, Innocent and Alexander, Urban IV, and finally Clement IV. But... As if that weren't enough, having that many numbers in a row, not counting, of course, when all of the firsts were reigning in the early church, 
isn't actually the longest stretch of its kind. Just a century and a half earlier, from 1088 through 1145, eight straight popes had the second after their name. I'll spare you listing them out here. Back to Urban. Urban IV was only in the chair of Peter for three short years, but he made the most of his time, and he needed to. Alexander IV had been no match for the Hohenstaufen, the Imperial House of Germany, from which Emperor Frederick II came. Alexander being described by the Catholic Encyclopedia as, quote, the feeblest and most pacific of the popes who faced off with the Hohenstaufen, and just at the height of their power, no less. And so Urban set out to dismantle the Hohenstaufen rule, in which he would end up succeeding, in addition to balancing the papal checkbook, which had fallen into disrepair, and returning Italy to papal influence, if nothing else, so the Pope could actually just simply reside there again, the place where Peter himself lay. Urban did succeed at the latter, getting enough pro-Pope support in Roman local government, but he himself was still not able to ever physically reside or even visit Rome during his papacy due to the perpetual violence there. Urban IV instead spent his whole papacy in either Viterbo or Orvieto instead. Back briefly to the topic of the Hohenstaufen, and particularly the son of Frederick II, Manfred, who had audaciously at this point claimed the throne of Sicily formerly held by his father, and whose rightful crown was actually owned by Manfred's nephew, Conradine, under whose charge he was placed. Depleted papal finances meant depleted papal armies, and so Urban IV looked instead to Charles of Anjou, the brother of the French king and eventual saint Louis IX, to take over the crown of Sicily with the help of King Louis himself. And Charles would do just that, but not before Manfred had attempted to claim the title of Holy Roman Emperor for himself, taken up residence in the Eternal City, and after Urban had long died. Urban's plan wouldn't actually come to fruition until two years after his death, when Charles's army of 30,000 strong entered Italy and eventually would defeat Manfred, who paid with his life, at the Battle of Benevento on February 26, 1266. Other than his dealings with Manfred, Urban created 14 new cardinals within a year of being in office, six of whom were relatives of the existing eight who had elected him, one of whom was his own nephew, and seven of whom were French. In addition, three of those cardinals would later become popes themselves, Clement IV, who followed Urban, as you'll remember, Honorius IV, and Martin IV. And those three actually would also be positioned the best to finish and defend Urban's effort, given his own short papacy. Urban IV was one of just 16 French popes in the history of the church, but was one of actually three that bore the name Urban, who hailed from France. The pope died at Perugia on October 2nd, 1264. But less than one month before his death, he left what has become, in my estimation, his most lasting legacy. After decades of lead-up and local honor in certain corners of the church, Urban IV decreed that the Feast of Corpus Christi, the feast honoring the Holy Eucharist, would be a day of celebration for the Universal Church, celebrated on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday. And that feast continues to be celebrated to this day, 755 years later. A couple of details just too good not to share. It's somewhat well known, for, for one, that Urban IV commissioned the great angelic doctor himself, St. Thomas Aquinas, to write a series of prayers and hymns for the occasion. Those hymns, the Tantum Ergo, O Salutaris, Adorate Devote, and others, remain inarguably some of the most beautiful reflections on the source and summit of Catholic life, and are still commonly used in both Eucharistic adoration and Catholic Mass today. 
It's less well-known as a second fact, though, that it would appear Urban IV sowed the seeds for creating that feast day clear back when he was just the archdeacon at Liege, at least 20 years prior. In fact, the origins of the Feast of Corpus Christi came from none other than the hands of a pious orphaned nun, St. Juliana of Mount Cornillon. St. Juliana had a profound vision of the church appearing under a full moon, but having just one dark spot. That spot evidently signified to her that it lacked such a feast. So she's reported to have shared this desire at the time with the Bishop of Liege, the Dominican Cardinal Hugh of Saint-Cher, and our future Pope, Jacques Pantaleon, who would eventually, at the urging of Juliana's friend Eve, for she herself died before Urban was elected, be able to fulfill at last what could only be the designs of Providence. On September 6th, 1264, Urban IV officially promulgated the Feast of Corpus Christi with a papal bull entitled Transitoris Deoc Mundo, and himself wrote beautifully on this belief Catholics hold so dear. That document, mercifully, still survives to this day. And to close out our episode this week, here's a snippet from Urban IV, speaking on the Catholic belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, as Jesus himself gave the Church at the Last Supper. Quote, Other things which we remember, we embrace spiritually and mentally. We do not thereby obtain their real presence. However, it is this sacramental commemoration. Jesus Christ is present with us in his proper substance, although under another form. As he was about to ascend into heaven, he said to the apostles and their helpers, I will be with you all days, even unto the consummation of the world. He comforted them with a gracious promise that he would remain and would be with them, even by his corporeal presence. Therefore he gave himself as nourishment, so that since man fell by means of the food of the death-giving tree, man is raised up by the means of the food of the life-giving tree. Eating wounded us, and eating healed us. Thus the Savior says, My flesh is true food, this bread is taken but truly not consumed, because it is not transformed into the eater. Rather, if it is worthily received, the recipient is conformed to it. End quote. Powerful stuff. It's a pretty short letter, so I encourage anybody to check out the show notes to find the full translation available uh, for you to read at your convenience. But otherwise, that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review the Popecast at iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to share with friends, just send them to thepopecast.fm. That's thepopecast.fm. FM. Also, to become a patron and help us continue churning these out, uh, it's not free to produce. Consider connecting with us on Patreon for a buck or two an episode at patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L, patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. It's set up to contribute per episode instead of per month, so you only actually get charged when there's new content, so it's incentive for us to continue producing these. As a limited edition, actually, we just got some sweet Popecast stickers in the mail. We'll send one out to the next five patrons who join at the $2 or above level, plus patrons will uh, get each new episode a day earlier than the public, among other benefits coming down the pike. So that's patreon.com slash if you'd like to join us on that. And then lastly, for great Pope quotes and other great stuff in between new episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Popecast. But that's it for this week. Again, we pray for the soul of Pope Urban IV and give thanks for his great gift, the Feast of Corpus Christi, which the Church still celebrates all these centuries later. Until next time.